Today, before we start, I'm going to read you a story about a physicalist. Now, physicalist is like the new fashionable name uh, for basically saying an atheist. Uh, I mean, a, a materialist, right? And materialists, to me, are wasting their time talking about materialism. Like, if you're an atheist, right? And you're a materialist. You believe, we got nothing here but this, Right? Why would you be talking? Why don't you go enjoy yourself then? Like there would literally be nothing else to do except enjoy the pleasures and passions of your, of your body. There's literally nothing else to do. If you're truly a physicalist, uh, a materialist, and that's all you believe in, then there's literally nothing else to do. Am I wrong about that? What else is there to do? So why are you talking? Why are you a philosophy professor? Who cares? If this is all you got, and you just got this one Hayatid dunya to live, then the only thing that you should be busy with, okay, is enjoying yourself. And there should be, take no prisoners. If that means I got to steal, murder, I mean, why not do all those things? I'll tell you why not. Because Allah Ta'ala has created within us a fitra, and that fitra is is telling you don't do this, right? Your fitra is saying don't steal. How? Because when you steal, you get nervous, you get upset. So the cowards amongst these philosophers, they will create an excuse why they didn't steal. But wait, rationally speaking, if this is all this, and it's all an accident too, this entire existence, the entire creation is just an accident. What the heck do I care if it's stealing from you? What's wrong with that, right? There's no right and wrong in the first place. Because if, if this entire existence is an accident, then there are no absolutes, including right and wrong. And no subjective thing or relative thing could, uh, should, should stop me. So from that vantage point, um, I should have no problem raping, killing, stealing, pillaging. But I'll tell you why, because they're cowards. Because when you do these things, something inside you like churns up. I mean, if you just lied about to your parents, and let's say you're not here, uh, you told your parents you're not here, you said you're doing something else, but you're here. Just that by itself would make a person's like stomach turning because I'm lying. Like I know something bad could happen. That is the message from Allah Taala that you're doing something wrong, right? Allah Taala speaks to you through your instincts, through your fitrah, and through your heart, and through your your, your, your gut, too. Through your nerves. Alright. Zihan Fly, this, uh, we are streaming from New Brunswick, New Jersey. Alright. He's asking where we're streaming from. So, you see what I'm talking about here? Is that once that happens, this is my theory, once their nerves, they get all nervous and all messed up, then they create excuses to justify not stealing, not killing, not murdering. But there's no real excuse except that you are too cowardice to do it. That's my theory on why atheists become ethicists. Why they talk about right and wrong, when there's tr truly no right and wrong. If you're truly a, just a pure materialist, then it's only just what society tells you. And you don't have to listen to that. So, but what I'm going to talk about is Herbert Fingeret. Herbert Fingeret, okay, he died recently, age of 97 and he was a contrarian 
materialist philosopher. He totally believes, all right, that there's nothing out there except the material matter. Just like all the all the uh, philosophers are like that. Marx was like that. Everything else was like that. But when he faced his own death, he started to think twice. See, there's no atheist in a foxhole. That's the same. You know, foxhole is basically like you're in war and you're back to the corner and you go into a hole. That's the, that's the, the idea of what the foxhole is all about. And there's no atheist in a foxhole is a statement meaning that you can be an atheist as long as you're rich, as long as you're eating and sleeping. But the moment someone's got a gun to your head, if someone's chasing you down, you're going to believe in God. Trust me. You're going to pray. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, talks about these people that they're on the ship. And as soon as the ship gets rickety and crazy, all the best dua comes out of their hearts. So he saves them. As soon as they come on land, their hearts close up again. And they go on land as if they never prayed to Allah or they don't even know who Allah is. 97-year-old philosopher, when he was young, he argued, fearing death is irrational. So this is a guy, he literally took reason to its logical conclusions. But when he got there, he actually found, no, I was wrong the whole time. But he said, when you die, there's absolutely nothing. He's certain about it. He has faith in that, because obviously nobody knows for sure purely from observation. We know for sure because from transmission. Right? Our certainty is based on transmission. We trust the transmitter who is the messenger Muhammad right? because he came with miracles and proofs. One single transmitter is never trustworthy. right? But when that transmitter is a prophet, he comes with miracles. That's why when the Madikis and Hanafis, they say, wait, no, we, we don't take one single chain hadith and just run with it. Right? Because we don't know the context. There could be a percent error. So we have to look at it with respect to the other evidences. If there's no class with the other evidences, yes, we could take it. But if there are other evidences, say certain other things, then we know we're going to couch it in a way that does not contradict those stronger evidences. Like, for example, Jummah, when it falls, Eid when it falls on Jummah. This is like a had hadith saying that. You have the choice to pray Jummah or pray Dhuhr at home if it's Eid. But Jummah is farad in the Quran. The Hanafis and Maliki say, no, no, we respect that transmission, but we don't know what's around it. Maybe it was abrogated, what have you, so we're not going to make law by it. So on Eid, if it falls on a Jummah, we still pray Jummah. Okay? So the Ahad people say, wait a second, isn't the Prophet Ahad? One Prophet has come given us all this law yes but you don't you can't compare the prophet to a sahabi because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam came with miracles so our certainty of life after death is based upon transmission sound transmission from a messenger of god okay he is saying there's nothing after death it's pure speculation but he has strong faith in it and he went forward with this faith okay 20 years later i'm reading from the atlantic monthly here on this philosopher facing his own mortality the philosopher realized he'd been wrong the whole time death is really scary to him and he had his grandson filming him around you know one of the best things about family is that when you get old you know who your friends become your grandkids right your your kids 
Besides the fact I've been around you for 40 years, I'm done with you, right? <laughs> and you're not cute anymore and you're too busy. Like there's no value that I can add to your life except to teach you, show you a thing or two about how to raise the kids. But the, the, the fun part for grandkid, grandparents is the kids, right? That's the, the, the grandkids. That's the fun part. Because it's all the fun without any of the work. And you don't pay for it either. Okay? Someone else is paying for it. Now, death got so scary, and he got worried that he can't figure, he can't think himself out of this fear. So he's faced to realize there is something stronger than the mind. This guy's an old-school modernist. There is something stronger than the mind. And that's your heart, right? And your soul. For 40 years, this guy was a philosophy professor at... Uh, UC Santa Barbara, what a, I mean, subhanAllah, one of the most gorgeous towns and cities that, I mean, I've heard that it's one of the most, I've seen the pictures, that Santa Barbara is one of the most gorgeous towns. He wrote that it's all a self-deception, okay, all this fear of death, blah, 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 but he realized he'd been the one deceiving himself. Now, this man is a Jew, and Allah says, there are some Jews and Ahl Kitab, and this is a verse about Ahl Kitab, some of them, Yahud and the Nasara, you can trust them with a mountain of money, of gold. He will not take a single cent from you. Right? So you have to respect that. And here you have a guy who is the furthest spectrum of, of disbelief, writing books about it. And here we go. Here he's being honest. You know how much how much effort it takes to say at ninety seven that I was wrong about all this, and that I really fear death and, I, and I'm worried about it. He says it haunts me. The idea of dying haunts me. Right. His grandson says, in a short documentary called "Being Ninety Seven, I walk around and I ask, my, ask myself a question. I lived 97 years on this, on this earth. What was the point of it all? SubhanAllah SubhanAllah. He's, there has to be a point of this existence. It's too, there's too much going on. There is way too much. There's perfection in the creation. There's just amazing happenings. Nothing is ever the same. Right? He's got to... He's, there's got to be a reason for this life. So when he's about to lose the ni'mah of this life, that's when he's worried about. Okay. Haas, which is his grandson, turns the camera on and he says that my grandfather would always invent stories, record them on tape, okay, send them over, and I love my grandfather. So when my grandfather said, um, come and let's, let's record last moments of my life, I felt this was great. So he, the grandson makes the film for the grandpa. He quietly observes, the grandson, that the things that have come to define his father's existence are what's transforming him. Now, like the stillness of time. The stillness of time, by this he means, when you hit 90, when you hit a certain age, there's nothing to do. No one's asking you for work. You can't work if you wanted to. You are too old to even have fun. Have you ever had a grandparent? I mean, you had, your grandparent came here, right? I can't remember them, though. Oh, I do remember them. But they were active still. I have seen grandparents. Huh? All day. 
I've seen a grand. I, mean, uh, I saw a grand. Uh, uh, a woman. I used probably knew her for five years before she died. She's sitting on the rocking chair, all day, on the rocking chair. Get up, praise the Lord. Bring food comes to her, right? And at the end of the day, it's really bad because all day she's falling asleep on the chair. So what does that mean? When it comes time to sleep, she can't sleep. How miserable is the existence is this? All day, she's sitting on the chair. Okay. I was young when I was watching her. But I'm thinking to myself, what the heck's going on here? That's it? It's a scary thing. So that stillness of time. All right? Loss of ability. Can't do anything. Even if you wanted to do something, you couldn't do it. And no one would want to do it with you either. Like, no one wants to keep your company at a certain age. You soil yourself, you fall asleep. We have to ask protection from this, from Sheikh With some people, Allah keeps them on the earth. Some salihin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps them on the earth for the sake of other people. That their service of them is an is a elevation of their rank and a purification of their sins. Like, some people, Allah keeps some old people on the earth because they're, by, by the family serving them, they're getting their sins expunged. And that person existing, as one poet said, old age is sickness by itself. Old age by itself is a sickness. And that uh, every day you're sick. Your just existence is sick. So it's a kafara of their sins. Some people are so pious that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes them stay on the earth because everyone who serves him in his old age, is being elevated in high ranks. Not just just removal of sins, high ranks from serving this type of person. By the way, take the mic and speak whenever you want to. You have to speak into the mic, though. He then says, you you also need to come to terms with asking for help. The human being, he... He, he's tagi, which means that he is completely, uh, he goes beyond his bounds. He knows no limits when um, he has no needs. So imagine, you, you ever meet a, a billionaire? I met one or two in my life. Probably like deep in the millions, right? Deep in the millions. These guys don't know limits, they don't know time schedules. They come when they come. They do what they do. They say what they say. Okay? Because they know nobody can touch them. Right? People go beyond their bounds when there are no limits. So what's the opposite mean? When they have limits, they stick with, they respect, they realize they're, they're humbled. This man, he's got to ask people all the time. Hey, can you help me walk across the street? Can you help me do this? Can you help me do that? Well, when you do that, you realize you're weak. When you realize you're weak your horizons open up. When a person realizes he's weak, your horizons open up to the fact that your, your nefs goes down. When your nefs goes down, imagine like you're like this, right? You can't see. But when you're, the more this comes away from me, I can start seeing that. So the nefs is a blocker. And by getting old, slowly but surely, okay, the ego is coming down. It's very difficult for people who have not reached a state of old age to understand the psychology 
of what's going on inside of an old person. This is what Fingeret says. I love this, personally speaking. I've always thought about this, right? That our deen is preparing us for a great old age. Not a good old age. A wonderful old age. Because the spirit, spirit always gets stronger. The ruh, the spirituality, always gets stronger while the body is getting weaker. Whenever you see a human being, you should never think of the body. That is just a casing. They may think he's old, but the ruh never gets old. For those people putting questions up, remember, you're going to have to re-put them up because I, when we take questions, we take them live instead of scrolling back up. Okay. In one scene of this documentary, Fingeret listens to a quartet that was his wife's favorite piece. He said he hadn't heard the piece for seven years since she died. And her absence, he says, is a presence because he's always thinking like, this person was with me for my whole life. Now they're not here. Are they really just not here? I'm telling you, we have such a, not just warm, mystical existence that the mythological or fairy tale movies or tales okay they're mimicking the truth of religion it's not the other way around it's not that religion is a fairy tale no these these like mythological and mystical and and fantasy that's the word these fantasies like narnia they're mimicking the truth of religion not the other way around the actual reality of allah's existence uh, of the creation that allah made it's more mystical than what they're putting forth. So the fact that idea that when you die, nobody leaves. You don't just disappear. You just leave. And you go to another abode. That's why if you truly understand death, you don't become callous towards death. You become sad about separation. But you realize it's temporary. right? It's, it's very temporary. And they're in a better place right now. You know, if they lived well. So you shouldn't worry about them. You should be happy for them. And that's why there are many cultures in the Islamic uh, uh, societies, they wear white on deaths. When a righteous person dies, they go to the funeral wearing white. I should never see a Muslim wearing black to a funeral. right? And the Prophet ﷺ put it like this. If someone dies, bury them quickly. Because there's one of two things. Either they were really good, send them to his paradise. Right? Or they were really bad, get rid of them. <laughs> Unload the guy quickly. Right? This documentary, which is called Being 97, he continues that the contemplation of the absence of his wife. So, how could this complex human relationship, complex creature, just be a, a, a meaningless blob of, of atoms? How? Your fitrah does not accept it. When people say, well, why doesn't God talk to us anymore? He only sent one prophet. Why doesn't he talk to all of us? He does. But not through words. He doesn't send you a book. That's the only difference. He does not send you a book and a new law. But all of these ideas, all this fitrah, is the way that Allah communicates to us. Haas, the grandson, he omitted his own voice from the film. So he didn't. He doesn't comfort his grandfather when the grandfather breaks down. 
my perspective on this is this guy is an atheist materialist, but a very honest one. And that at the end of his life, he sort of almost like came to terms with it. And you'll see what happens here. It's very difficult to watch anyone in the kind of pain that my grandfather was in and not be able to console them. Okay. Especially someone you love so dearly. My grandfather is the most thoughtful man I've ever met. He continues. I found myself sitting just a few feet away from him, but unable to reach out because the camera was between us and I didn't want to ruin the documentary that he asked for. All I wanted to do was put a hand on his shoulder, give him a hug. After what felt to Haas like an eternity, the filmmaker handed his grandfather a tissue to wipe away his tears. And the scene ends just before this happens. Now, Fingerette died in 2018. But weeks earlier, Haas had shown him the final cut of the documentary. He said it helped him give a perspective on what he was going through. I love talking about the mysterious process it had been. Okay. Now here's this. This is the zinger. The day before he died, Fingerette uttered his final words. He had spent many hours in silence with his eyes closed, although he was awake and conscious. But his eyes were closed, sitting, not sleeping. He said, I looked, and my grandfather suddenly looked up, opened his eyes, and he said, well, that's clear enough. Then he went back into his meditative state. A few hours later, he again popped his head up, looked, and said, why don't we see if we can go up there and check it out? SubhanAllah. It's as if the guy's like his... He's been in so much solitude for so long. Okay? And the fact that they made this movie is proof that he's not insane. He's not in what we call takhrif, like, you know, when old people just babble. Well, how if he just made a movie, right? And the grandson's there. So he then puts his eyes down and he dies. That's it. That's how he ended his life. Now, what was that? Well, you can speculate all you want. But, I mean, I could have my own theory about that. You know, the theory and the idea that he's obviously talking to somebody, right? And he's obviously seeing stuff. And when his eyes are shut, he's, um, he's clearly, you know, in another space. Because when you're about to die, there's a, 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 merge, a blurring of the lines between dunya and barzakh. Akhirah. There's a blurring of the lines. You can go like in and out almost, right? And, I mean, every Muslim that I know has seen a relative or something like that which uh, had a similar experience, right? Where the relative or the grandparent is coming in and out and then talking to people that are clearly not in the room. So... It's death is an amazingly it's an amazing thing. It's gonna be the most amazing experience. Right? Because we could talk about akhirah all we want, but this is gonna be the real thing. You can have dreams all you want, but this is just a dream. It's an image given to your soul. That's it. But this is gonna be the real thing. This is a picture of the guy. Right? Just a 
nothing unique, just an old man. But um, amazing uh, story there about the guy. And it makes you read about near-death experiences. And I want the most amazing near-death experience that I read about. And mind you, that all near-death experiences, you have, they're ahad narrations. There's no way to ap- say it's absolutely true or absolutely false. But the more educated, the more scientific the background of the person, the more you can accept you know, what they're saying. There's a guy, his name is Alexander something. He wrote a book. I, watched, I, read, I, I listened to the whole book on audio. It was one of the most amazing stories ever. So he's a hardcore atheist. Okay, hardcore atheist. And what's his job? He's a, he's a, a medical school professor of neurology or neuroscience at Harvard. He gets transferred to North Carolina and he's working there in North Carolina. And one day he wakes up with a terrible headache. So he goes and takes a cold shower. Nothing changes. It's just head is about to burst. Then suddenly just drops and falls in the shower or in the bathroom. His wife comes. Okay. Next thing you know, he's opening his eyes and there he's got a, um, I forget what it's called, a fungal infection in his brain. Right? What is it called, the fungal infection in your brain? I can't remember what it is. But it's a well-known sickness. Now the guy says that his soul left his body. Now remember, this is a neurology professor from Harvard. Now he's at Duke. And now I don't know where. I think the whole scientific community has banished him. But at this point, he was at Duke, I think. He says that, I went to another world. Uh, Oh, he said, I went into a world of darkness. And he said, I felt like I was there for an eternity, for eons and eons and eons and eons in darkness. Now, I think that's his atheism. Because he was a hardcore atheist. Hardcore. Educated, scientist, atheist. He then says that someone plucked me out and tossed me up. And I went into the clouds and I landed on a butterfly. And I'm riding this butterfly. And there's a little girl there. Oh, a young woman. There's a young woman there. There's a young woman there. And I don't know who she is. I'm not talking to her. She's not talking to me, but she's there. And he describes all sorts of adventures that he goes on, right? And this young woman is his host the whole time, right? He's never seen her, right? Never known anything about her. So when he came down, when he woke up, he wrote all this down. And he was cured from his sickness. He wrote all this down. And he drew a picture of the girl, okay? And he... uh, drew a picture of this girl and he uh, he kept it he told his wife but she just stayed silent she knows the implications of this like you're just going to be laughed out of your whole life but he could not keep this he had to put it out like if it, things that are true that happen to you you have to release, release, it, release it right and he starts talking about it and everyone just thinks he's crazy the whole scientific community thinks he's crazy, right? 
So he then says, uh, he's talking to somebody, and he's like, well, why don't we get our family trees, blah, blah, blah. He says, oh, by the way, you had family, uh, your father, some, it's, it's some long lost thing where his father or something ends up marrying another woman. Having a daughter, that daughter dies young. And they send him the picture, and it's the same picture of the same face that he saw. So these are all, what do they call, NDEs, near-death experience, whatever spiritual experience. And as we said, we take it with a grain of salt, because it's ahad, it's purely the testimony of the person, and there are plenty of cases where people lied. You know that fame, there's a famous little yellow book about a boy who said he met Jesus. Turns out, it was a whole hoax. The parents were evangelicals that were like feeding him this stuff. So it, was a whole, it was just a hoax. And people were pissed. They made a movie about him. It was a best-selling book. Like in the millions of, of copies sold, at every airport you'll see this book. Right? It's a yellow book and it's a boy from like Arkansas or whatever and he says that he almost died and he met Jesus. Then he would keep Every time he would like pass out or, or sleep, he would meet Jesus. But it was the parents, like, oh, did you meet Jesus? Of course, if your mom says that, you want to make her happy. So he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, did Jesus have like a beard like this? Yeah, because you want to make your mom happy, right? You can't say no. So it, it was all lies. It came out as the boy grew up. He said, no, 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 just my, my mom was telling me all this stuff. People were pissed. So, so that's why you have to take them... Um, with a grain of salt. So I like to take that type of thing from the atheists because he has everything to lose by, by, by telling the story. Yeah. Ryan, any comments on this? I have one comment. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Let's now turn to our seerah and let's begin with our sponsors. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Our sponsor today is Mecca Books. As you all know, Mecca Books is where you can get this book and any book you want to get. Coupon code Safina. Coupon code Safina. And our sponsor is patreon.com backslash Safina Society. You can become a patron and um, support this uh, live stream that we do Mondays through Thursdays out of New Brunswick, New Jersey. And don't forget to put notifications, subscribe and hit notifications. And you can even become a member of the YouTube channel. And uh, this membership thing is new to me. But you can make sure to subscribe and hit notifications so you'll get a notification every time we stream. Inshallah ta'ala. Okay. If you ever have any questions, you hit info at safinasociety.org. This stream goes onto my personal Instagram page and Facebook page, and we are working on putting it all on Spotify and Apple uh, iTunes. What is it now called? Apple Music and Google Play. So we got some vols. Uh, doing that stuff. Okay. 
حدثنا محمود بن غيلان حدثنا أبو أسامة عن شريك عن عاصم الأحول عن أنس بن مالك أن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وصحبه وسلم قال له يا ذا الأذنين يعني يمازحه So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said to a man Oh you who have two oh two-eared one Okay The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said this to him Anas ibn Malik Ya dhal udhunayn What does that mean Ya dhal udhunayn Oh two-eared one Well isn't everyone two ears So what's unique About Anas ibn Malik's two ears Is it big Are they big Well Maybe that not Wouldn't be A nice thing to say to somebody Or Is the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Keeping in his mind To listen well So it's a nickname that is encouraging him to listen well because he's the prophets, he's one of the youth around the prophet and he will live a long life. The prophet said to to Anas bin Malik, may you live a long life and have a a large progeny. Well, this makes total sense, right? Because you want the spirit of Medina to last a long time. You want the... The, the, the ruh of Islam to live beyond the, t- the passing of the Messenger وسلم, and the elder Sahaba. So the Prophet invested a lot in the youth, meaning a lot of time. So Sayyidah Aisha, he taught her. Anas ibn Malik, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Jabir ibn Abdullah. These are many of the youth of the Sahaba. So by calling him, giving him this, this nickname, Ya al Udunayn, O two-eared one. Must be, okay, because he's praising his hearing or he's encouraging him, listen closely to everything that I say. Yeah, that other name. It's either that or he had very good hearing, okay, but it would probably not be uh, because he had large ears. Because large ears is not a nice thing. So why would you draw people's attention to that? Right? If you had a big nose, you wouldn't say, yeah, Abu nose, right? <laughs> Because that's an insult, basically. Now, the Prophet joked, but his jokes were never lies, and they were never insults. Okay? They were never lies, and they were never insults. And the only time that you're able to, to joke with people about something about them is if they're accepting of it, if they're okay with it. So, for example, someone huge, and you call him tiny. It's like in our culture, if someone's so huge, like you ever see that, you know about the bouncer in New York City? There used to be a bouncer who became famous. He was a bouncer in New York City, and he was a bouncer for all the rappers and everything. Then he became so famous because it was so funny how huge he was, but his nickname was tiny, right? Yeah, yeah like, like, like our guy. We got a guy here. If we had ever had any problems... We're going to call this guy over. We would not have problems anymore. Right? His name is Latif. <laughs> the gentle one, right? <laughs> so, subhanAllah. Uh, so, sometimes the opposite are like this. Now, what is forbidden in joking? Of course, the lie and the insult is forbidden. What is makruh in joking? The excess. Why is mak- 
excess, excess makruh rather than haram is because the line of excess is blurry. There's no way to determine that what where is excess. Like what is eating to excess? Eating, being satisfied, joking, laughing. It's a spectrum, right? Between zero and a lot is a big gray area. You can't make law on gray areas. So anything that has a gray area, the law makes it makruh, not haram. You cannot make law and say haram or obligatory on a gray matter. So for example, the dress of the kuffar, dressing like enemies of Islam. Like where's the line here? Who's an enemy of Islam, first of all? Like is the entire Western civilization enemy of Islam? Of course, the U.S. government, they waged a lot of wars on Muslims. Russians have waged war on Muslims. Canada supported them. England did what they did. France did what they did. So what does that mean? Does that mean like wearing pants? Wearing pants was, at, there was a time when it was very well known that the pant is only the colonizer's garment. You don't wear it. Haram. Same way you come in with a blue star of David on, right? That's haram. Not makruh. Haram. To come in for a Muslim to wear a blue star of David. Because it's just explicitly and clearly the flag of oppressors of Muslims. Okay? And they're oppressing themselves more than anyone else. The Muslims will be fine. When you die, you go to Jannah. They're going to be a miserable life that they're given the people of Gaza. And that will, inshallah, be a kafara and a cause for them to go to Jannah. But you guys are digging yourself a very bad grave. Right? So, but they're the oppressors of Muslims. They're without doubt. But let's say um, there are a lot, of, a lot of things like a yellow scarf. The Hindus now, they have a type of yellow scarf, right? A yellow sash. Red. Is it red? Oh, it's a red sash. So, but, but red sashes are so common in the world. I mean, how many Muslims have red scarves? So we, it's, we can't say that unless it's exactly their type. So that's why anytime there's a gray area, we don't say haram, we say makruh. Yeah. All right, we go to the next hadith in our book here, Shama'il At-Tirmidhi, which you can get from meccabooks.com with the coupon code Safina. Haddathana Hanad ibn Sari, Haddathana Waqi'a an Shu'aba, an Abit Tayyah, an Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. قال إن كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم لا يخالطنا حتى يقول لأخ لي صغير يا أبا عمير ما فعل النغير. Anas ibn Malik said, the Prophet ﷺ used to sit with us for long periods of time. يخالطنا. He would be with us. The Prophet was not away from everybody and never keep their company and only when he gives an order. No. So he said to Anas ibn Malik's brother, who was named Umair, when he learned that he had a little bird, pet bird, that died. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Aba Umair, ma fa'ala nughair. Oh Abu Umair, what did the nughair do? What did your pet bird do? Okay, so the scholars have been so curious about this statement from the Prophet. Because death isn't something an animal does. Right? So there's a lot of that they can extract from this. Okay? The fiqh, the rulings of this hadith, 
And the Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam kana yumazih. And the first thing he used to make jokes. But the joke was never haram nor hurtful. Annahu kanna ghulaman saghiran. And he gave a kunya. So jokes should be, there are certain things that have nice rules to them. Jokes should be never uh, lies nor hurtful. Just as clothes should never be um, uh, see-through nor form-fitting. Okay? The, the clothes cannot be... Um, be what, is the two, what is the phrase? Um, it not, should not be see-through nor form-fitting. That's not coverage. لا يصف ولا يشف You see how like, nice a rhyme that is, right? لا يصف with a sod that means it doesn't describe a person. ولا يشف is not see-through. If it's descriptive or it's transparent, then you're not covered. And that explains why the Prophet ﷺ said in the end of time, you will see women walking in the streets kasiyat ariyat. They're dressed but naked. Dressed in their world. They're dressed, but they're actually naked because they're for, it's all form-fitting, right? So, or that it, it, or it's like has holes in it or something like that. So jokes should not be har- lies, nor should they be hurtful. The second is that you can give kunyas to people. A kunya is not does not require you to be the father of somebody. The kunya could be any description about you. The kunya could be for a nephew, for example, what is Sayyidah Aisha's kunya? Umm Abdullah. Abdullah is her nephew, right? Not her son. She doesn't have a son. The third ruling we get from this hadith the Prophet knew that he had a pet uh, bird and he accepted it, right? He didn't say it's haram. So you're allowed to keep pet birds. And the madar, or the, or the not the madar, but the condition on any pets is that you're not harming them. So you can't take an eagle as a pet, for example. An eagle needs to fly. You can't take a bird that needs to fly and trap it. But you could take a pet, that, a bird that doesn't need to fly, or in a situation where it doesn't have to fly. And you could put it in a cage. And I don't think at that time they were putting it in cages all the time. Maybe he was just keeping it. Maybe it was a type of little parakeet that doesn't fly. And the Prophet said, O oh, Abu Umair, what did the Nugair do? Nugair is the type of bird. He used to have this Nugair, a little parakeet, and he used to play with it, and the, and the bird died. So the boy became sad. So the Prophet lightened his spirit by joking with him, saying, what happened to your bird? So there is in that too that you can console somebody who lost a pet. I met my neighbor one my, my We saw our neighbor one time at the supermarket. She was crying because her dog just died, right? So you can say a nice word. Oh, sorry, your dog died, right? If someone crashed their car, Right? Wouldn't you say, man, sorry that happened, right? Well, isn't a dog more a living thing more important than a car? Right? So, it is permitted and it is has from the sunnah to do that, to uh, console someone who lost an animal. Okay? 
let's see what what other rules you have here. Different. Right, that's pretty much basically it. Next hadith. Hadathana Abbas ibn Muhammad al-Duri. Hadathana Ali ibn al-Hasan ibn al-Shaqiq. Anba'ana Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. An Usama ibn Zayd. An Sa'id al-Maqburi. An Abi Huraira. Radiyallahu ta'ala an. Qala ya Rasulullah. Innaka tudaibuna. Faqala na'am ghayra anni. La aqulu ila al-haq. Illa haqqa. So Abu Huraira said that some people said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, you jest with us. You have jest with us. Or a, a tada'ub is to say like comments here and there that make you feel close, like it's almost being playful a little bit, right, with somebody. So the Prophet said, Yes, but I only say what is true. So um, could you go and check downstairs where the, no, to make sure Rahana's okay? Yeah, maybe she fell asleep on the couch. So al-muda'aba is also something that Jafar al-Sadiq did. He can yuda'ib wa yumazih. Sayyidina Jafar al-Sadiq was always light-hearted, lightening up the gathering by talking about something that's semi-personal with a person in a way that they feel near to the Prophet. They don't feel that it's just lectures, lectures, lectures. They feel nearness to the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, uh, and Sayyidina Jafar al-Sadiq used to do that. And when he used to do that, the people used to feel close to him. But they said that as soon as the Messenger of Allah was mentioned, then he became more in awe and respect. And he would stop this joking when the Messenger of Allah was, was, was mentioned. And that his behavior in general was either he was reciting the Qur'an, praying nawafil, or making salah on the Prophet wasallam, or teaching, or reading. Okay? And that he wouldn't waste his time. But when he was sitting with the people, he would lighten up the scene with that. Next hadith. Okay, this is a good one. Anas ibn Malik again reports that a man asked the Messenger of Allah for a load-carrying animal. He asked the Messenger for a load-carrying animal. Something he could ride on. The Prophet said, I'll give you the baby, the child of a camel. The man said, I'm too big. How can I go on the child of a camel? Okay. He said, What would I do with the child of a camel? The Prophet said, right. Basically, isn't every camel, the child of another camel, right? Every camel is another camel's child. Also from Anas ibn Malik, a man by the name of Zahir. He was from the Bedouin. كَانَ يُهْدِي إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمْ هَدِيَّةً مِنَ الْبَادِيَةِ He used to bring gifts to the Prophet from the, the, the Bedouin areas, the empty areas, the Bedouin. And the Bedouin had the best meat, the best milk, the best everything, because their animals are breathing the best air. And Mecca is trapped, it's trapped air. Okay. 
So when he would come, the Prophet would not let him go empty-handed. He would give him things from the city. The cities have crafts that the Bedouins don't have. So the Prophet once said, Zahir is our, he's our Bedouin land and we're his city land. And the Prophet loved him. And he was a man who was Demim. Get you the translation of Demim. Which means that he was not handsome. Zahid was, he was, the the translation they say was ugly. So he was not a handsome uh, man. The Prophet one day came while Zahid was selling his Bedouin stuff in the city. So he came for, to him from the back and covered his eyes. And he said, who, who is this? Let me go, said Zahid. He looked and he found it's the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay? Then he stayed still because it's the Prophet who's touching him. Then he said, the Prophet ﷺ said, Man yashchari hadhal abd? Who would buy this slave from me? Okay. Who would buy this slave? The, the poor man said, Oh, you would find me, I'm not going to get you a good price. No one's going to pay a lot for me. The Prophet ﷺ said, However, with Allah, right, you don't come at a cheap price. With Allah, you're expensive. Precious. Is that not Bishara with Jannah? Does Allah does does, does the Prophet miss the mark when he says something about Allah? The Prophet says something about Allah, it is from the eternal knowledge of Allah. That means it does not change. When the Prophet makes a description about a person, he describes that person vis-a-vis his creator, Allah, that knowledge is eternal. It does not change. Okay? So he is Ghal Allah. Expensive, precious with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permanently. That's Bishara bil Jannah. Here's a man goes out one day to sell his belongings. Same day, he gets a Bishara with Jannah. I wonder if the commentaries put anything here. Okay. Now, when he said here, who will buy this slave? even though he was a free man. But the commentator is saying, that's not a lie, because everyone is a slave. Right? Everyone's a slave. Right? And on top of that, the entire exchange was a way for him to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to remind him of Allah, because he was engrossed in buying and selling. Okay. And why else would he call him a slave? Metaphorically, that anyone who's so engrossed in something becomes a slave to that thing. So he's so engrossed in buying and selling, he's like a slave to that thing. Metaphorically, not legally. Okay. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, then he received the good news that he is in the sight of Allah, very precious. An old lady came to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and she said, O Messenger of Allah, make dua for me that I can go to Jannah. 
He said, Ya Umma Fulan, O oh, mother of so and so, Innal Jannata la yadkhuluha ajuz. An old paradise is not entered by old women. There are no old women in paradise. Okay? So she left upset. So he then says, Go and get her. Tell her. I said, Old people don't enter paradise. And say, You don't enter paradise. Okay? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We have returned them to their youth. We return the women to their old, to their original and their youthful form. So the Prophet said a statement of truth. Old people don't enter Jannah. It's true. That's why we said earlier, like, old age, you only hit it once in your life. It's a casing. Once you come out of old age, your soul is always young. There's no age to a soul, not young or old. But the body you're given in the resurrection for the mu'min is a young body. It's a youthful body. It's all youth. Jannah is all youth. There are no elders. There's no old age in Jannah. Okay. All right. إِنَّا أَنْشَأْنَاهُنَّ إِنْشَاءَ فَجْعَنَّاهُنَّ أَبْكَارَ عُرُبًا أَتْرَابًا What does that mean? We have created them as damsels, meaning they will find themselves in a new creation. Like a woman will not see herself. She'll, look, she'll have to look in the mirror and see what my face looks like. Because it's not the face that you know. It's a completely different face. Uh, they're a whole completely new creation. إِنَّا أَنْشَأْنَاهُنَّ إِنْشَاءَ a brand new creation. The, the body that you're going to get in the resurrection is a whole nother body. Virgins. There's no hide, no blood anymore. This is what women would suffer from in this world. Hide and blood and all those things. Flirtatious lovers of equal age with their companions. The ashab and the age is 33 in Jannah. People say what they sometimes comment on how much the Quran mentions love, sensuality, uruban atraba, which means flirtatious lovers. Like they have a Christian lens and view this as dirty. Okay. When your religion and your civilization deemed love between man and woman as a dirty thing, fast forward your civilization is to, is, spreads it pornography all over the world. Because this is a natural thing inside of the human being to love another woman. Okay? Alright? It's a complete, natural, and normal thing to love another woman. There's nothing wrong with that and to want to be with them and to admire their body so by sharia putting it in a in a, in in a conditional way you have to fulfill certain conditions marriage but otherwise it's a wonderful thing to seek a wife is not considered dunya unless you're only seeking her for her for her beauty or for her lineage or for her wealth like her standing in society or her for her wealth but if a person is seeking them for their deen and to do good things and those other things, then that's acceptable. Right? It is totally acceptable 
to, to select those other things as long as it's not the only thing. There should be some like we can do good things together, right? We could raise kids together. And she has a good deen, I could trust her. Like that. And on top of that, she has those other qualities. Her wealth, her status, or her beauty. So when you shut these things down and you stifle it, well, what happens when you stifle something? You get something worse. So they stifled these things. Now, you go and find me what motivation a person will have that's greater than the motivation of being with a beautiful woman. I personally don't think there's any motivation. Wealth is merely a means to that. I want to be rich. Just to get... What's the point of rich? All right, you want to be rich and you never marry? Or you're rich, but you can't marry a beautiful woman. A woman, you're very rich, but you don't have a good husband. Like you got a husband that's, that's not attractive. Which one? Or you're going to be middle class with a very attractive husband. They're all take the latter, right? Power, this also means, means something Allah has put in the souls of people that they would love to have a partner. And that's why Adam, his, the first creation was made for him was Hawa. Paradise was not sufficient for him. He fell asleep. Walking in paradise, okay, all right, nice castles, trees, fell asleep, right? But when he received Hawa, he, he was so distracted with her that he forgot the one law that Allah Ta'ala gave him, is not to eat from that tree. And they say he forgot it, and shaitan tricked him and lied to him at the same time. All right, with that, let's uh, stop for our Q&A here. Inshallah. All right, what do we have here? Will Adam السلام, get more than one wife in Hawa? He will have a creation that is different. Number one. He will have a creation that is different. And that creation is Hurrain. Hurrain are not the daughters of Adam. He cannot marry any woman of the human beings as we know them, except Hawa. Because all of those women are his daughters. Okay? And that relationship remains. Okay? So he will have Hawa. And there are also a creation called the Hur Al-Ain, which is a creation that is different. They're very close to human to the point that we can interact to them, with them and find them attractive and act like them with humans. But they're not the daughters of Adam. These are the Hurlin. What is the opinion of having dreams about the Prophet that doesn't match the physical appearance or description of him? And the best answer to that is that the dreamer himself has is incomplete. His spirituality is incomplete. His deen or his iman or his salawat on the Prophet is incomplete. So you're only getting an incomplete image. That's the dominant opinion. Is there any amal for overcoming laziness to study? This question by Guy Ibn Dude. Funny names people choose here. Um, 
The answer to that is, there is only one answer, which is to visualize the result of these studies. Like, what's the goal of your studies? If you're studying engineering, go watch a documentary about an engineer that, you're, that makes you excited, and that will amp you up, right, to study engineering. Chief Latif, is it true that the pejorative word, uh, what am I reading here? Uh, Hur comes from Hur al-Ain. Who knows? Who knows? Why are they so upset about this? Right? It's not like you're getting it. You guys are going to Jahannam. Right? <laughs> what are you upset about? Okay. Khadija says, Assalamu alaikum. If we start a sunnah or nafid of prayer with the intention to do four rakas, only Hanafis are allowed to do that. Otherwise, we break them up in twos. But then realize there's no time. Can we change the intention to Turakas? Allahu Alam. And we will inshallah try to get you a Hanafite here in this chair once a week to answer your Hanafism. To, to speak to you okay, in Hanafism. Okay? And talk to you about the Hanafi stuff. How do we interpret the Quran which says Ya Isa inni mutawaffika wa rafi'uka ilayya Very simply mutawaffika here means I will put you in a deep sleep because the Quran uses the word wafa to also mean sleep or the other tafsir is it's not in order that I mean I'm going to raise you and then you will die okay but the also um, good example is uh, explanation is that mutawafika means put you in a deep sleep if you read the tafsirs they say that Sayyidina Isa how did he go elevated to the heavens that Allah made him have a deep sleep. And then Malaika took him to the heavens in a deep sleep. Alright, Sophia, what's going on here? What is... There's a lot of discussion here. I'm glad people made friends, to be honest with you. Maybe more than friends. Maybe more than friends, Steve. Tayyip. Speaketh. Hmm. Khadija says, I'm trying to learn Maliki Fiqh at the moment. And it's, she's uploading. Her Maliki Fiqh is uploading. So now it is a non-issue now because we do not have four rakas of in any sunnah except for solar eclipse. Okay, Salat al-Khusuf is four rakas. Every other sunnah is two rakas, and witr of course is one raka. Whenever you want to pray multiple noafid, you break them up in twos. You always have to break them up in twos. Sophia says, HK4718 wants to get married. Well, we need your identity first. Not going to work by HK4718 to whatever. Okay? Anonymous user. So, I don't think any women will accept an anonymous uh, proposal here. No, no, they already connected. Okay, good. Tell they already connect. How do we get in touch outside the live stream? But if you both email us with permission at info at please give my email to so-and-so, please give my email to so-and-so, then Ryan will share your emails, right? 
And then don't come back to us and say it doesn't work out. We are just the, the middleman. Okay? We are just the middleman. All right? And I hope it works out. How wonderful of a baraka if, if the stream was the cause of two people to get married. And I'm telling you, the best place... You would have to do the wedding. I'll have to, I'll have to do it. Not, uh, virtually. <laughs> virtual wedding is permissible as long as the identities of the two is certain. I was a virtual witness one time. Huh? You I were? I was a virtual witness yeah. one time. The identities have to be certain, though. Right? That this is, I'm so-and-so, right? And this is so-and-so. Uh, and if there's a wali needed then we have to get the identities. So as long as the identities are not confused, the virtual nikah is valid. Okay. Anyway, you don't need a sheikh to do a nikah, by the way. Right? A, a, a groom could do the nikah. I have married you to myself, and he puts it in the past tense. She says, I have accepted. That's it. You're married. Right? Or the wali says, I, or I have married your daughter to me, myself. And the wali says, I've accepted. Right? That's it. Many people, they don't realize that's all the pillars of marriage is. Nikah is. Okay. Muhammad Mubashir Ali, and look at that logo. Wow. He's got a great logo here. Muhammad Mubashir Ali says, so much of the seerah describes various battles and campaigns. What lessons in strategy and making good leadership decisions in dunya can we learn studying Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in general? Here's, here's one. The Prophet's speech was clear and applicable. And as Sayyidah Aisha said, he did not... When he gave an order, or he gave a lesson, it was clear and practicable. Executable. He did not give them something that they can't execute. They could always execute what he was saying. And it was short, I can remember it, and I could practice this. That was one of the key features of the Prophet. So if you're a leader, then what you need to do is, when you have an employee, it's got to be crystal clear what he's doing, and you lure them, or make them excited by rewards, and there should be a sense of punishment in the air too. Not punishment, but you can't take this for granted. You can be released from this job. And it doesn't have to be like, hey, by the way, you can be fired. It could be, hey, remember so-and-so? Yeah, too bad we had to fire him. That's a hint, right? That is a hint. Omar Mufti, is there judgment for animals who die in this life? Yes, there is, but it's not a moral judgment. It's just justice. There is no moral judgment for animals. Animals have no right and wrong. But sometimes in the world of animals, there's an unfair fight. And the unfair fight is treated on the day of judgment so the fight is made fair that's if it's a fight between two animals of the same type okay, not the hunting so for example a lion will not be hunted by a zebra on the day of judgment because that's part of the order of nature but if one lion had one eye and the other lion had two eyes and one lion didn't have like claws and they fought that's not a fair fight so they would be swapped out and then they turn to dust after that. There will be far more in Jannah for human beings to be involved with, for them to be busy with animals. And there are heavenly animals too. How does the soul work in the next life? Says Abihan, we have 
no knowledge, except that it is, it is given more power. As Imam Malik said, in the Isra and Mi'raj, the Prophet saw, his, saw Allah with his heart, not with his eyes. Because these eyes are fani. Fani means they will disappear. But, so the fani cannot see the baqi. Baqi is infinite, everlasting. So in the akhirah, Allah Ta'ala gives us everlasting eyes. Baqi, that we can see al-baqi. We can see Allah Ta'ala. In the next life, not in this life. It is said, says Furqan, that Hafsa will be the wife of Rasulullah in heaven. So it's possible that a Jannati man has a human wife as well as Hurlain, of course. A man in Jannah can have, there will also be many single women in Jannah. Right? They will also have husbands. The Prophet ﷺ said, Sayyidah Maryam is his wife in Jannah. Is not she the best of women? Some say she's the best of women, absolutely. Some say she's the best of women of her time. And that say the Fatima is the best of women. Okay? But because if who married the Prophet in this life? Sayyidah Khadija, right? So therefore she's the best of women. Fatima is the result, the child of the best of women and the best of men. So how could she not be the best of women? And if Fatima is the best of women, that is a praise of Khadija. Because if someone was to come to you and let's say your son is going to be the best son, best kid of his generation, have not, haven't you been elevated? So the praise of the child is the praise of the father. So the saying, say to Fatima is the best woman, is an elevation of Khadija. There's no competition between woman and, and daughter or man and son. So it is said that Sayyidah Maryam is the greatest of women of all and it is said that Sayyidah Fatima is the greatest woman of all and Allah knows best. But Sayyidah Maryam will be the wife of the Messenger of Allah Muzammil Khan says do sins affect the tajalliyats that a person receives from Allah? The tajalliyats, first of all do you pour milk in a dirty cup? No. Tajalliyat is the gifts of Allah Ta'ala about unseen things or about motivations directly from him, things like this, whether it's in the wakeful state or as a dream, and they do not come into the filthy cup. They only come into a clean cup. Okay, so you have to clean your hearts. If you have sins, rule out anything. Tajalliyats will be mixed up, messed up. Stay, don't trust them until you clean your soul. What about the nafila prayer, Salat al-Tasabih? Is that not also four rakahs? Yes, that is a four rakahs. So Salat al-Khusuf, Salat al-Tasabih. Thank you, Shar uh, Patel, for reminding me of that. What is up to myself mean regarding Sayyidina Isa ibn Maryam? Yes, means rafi'uka ilayya, meaning, yes, he's being raised to paradise. That does not imply Allah has a location. No, it does not apply Allah has a location. Like the, the when, what do we, how do we explain that the Prophet ﷺ spoke to Allah at the Raf Raf in the Mi'raj? He kept going up and up and up and up and up, and there he spoke to Allah. We say that is the location which Allah chose to give him the tajalli. Right? Because Allah spoke to the Prophet ﷺ in the heavens, and he spoke to Musa on the earth. So Allah's tajalli is what happened there. Okay? That's where the tajalli of Allah occurred. That's where he chose. And rafi'uka ilayya, meaning I'm raising you to the heavens physically, he's going up to the heavens. 
And the, the saying of ascribing the heavens to Allah Ta'ala is meaning that there's no disobedience there. Right? That's why the heavens is more worthy of being attributed to Allah than the earth. The earth has disobedience in it. If two people are stranded, says H, what they believe, with what they believe to be no hope of being rescued, can they marry each other? If it's only if it's a valid marriage, right? Let's say you're on a plane, the plane crashes, everyone dies except you and a woman. Right? If it's a valid marriage, you can marry each other. Yeah. With no witnesses? What are we going to do about that? That's a good fit question. With no witnesses? Good question, right? Good fit question. Huh? In Maliki fiqh, we don't need the witnesses for the contract to be valid. But for the consummation, we need witnesses. Okay. Hanafi fiqh, they don't need a wali. But Maliki fiqh does require a wali. Okay, let's go to Lily Rose. Zakiya, desire to be given a beatific vision of Allah, ask for afia in this life. She's talking to somebody else. Yes. So, Hebawan, with respect to agnostics, those who do not accept or reject Islam, what is their fate? It is kufr for us. If you've learned about it and you're on the. Non acceptance is rejection. Because the, in, the demand is to believe the Prophet. That's the demand. It's one. It's not that you don't you you avoid disrespecting the Prophet or rejecting him. No. There's one demand. Believe in the Prophet. So agnosticism for us is kufr. Can you explain the use of the royal we in the Quran? It's a uh, from the eloquence of the Arabic language that we is used for that which is lofty. Right? So that's the meaning of the royal we. How do you do the solar eclipse prayer, says Abi Khan? Well, it's very interesting. It has two ruku'ah per sajd, per rakah. Fatiha surah ruku'ah. Sami Allah alimin hamidah. Fatiha surah again, ruku'ah. Sami Allah alimin hamidah. Then sujood. And you do that. Oh. No, khusuf is not four rakas. It's two rakas with four recitations. Sorry, I got confused there. Khusuf is two rakas with four recitations and four rukuas in the two rakas. Okay, so I, I, that, that was a mistake that I said there, a slip up. Lunar eclipse is just two rakas at home. That's it. Okay. How do you know the solar eclipse prayer when you can't look up into the sky and when you are supposed to pray throughout the whole of the eclipse? Well, you know it's there because it starts and then you pray. Like you're going to you see it happening, then you go to pray. Of course, today we have it's all scheduled, which shows the great knowledge of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala that we know that these massive bodies in space we know where they're going to be at exactly what time. Do you know how fast the earth is moving? How fast the earth is spinning? 
Like it's a speed that's phenomenal. Yet, it never crashes. It never slows down. It never bumps. The moon never flies off. The moon never quits. The moon never comes closer. The moon never moves around in where it's not supposed to be. And so, because of that, and because of the amount of documentation over the years of, by astronomers, we now know exactly when the moon will be between the earth and the sun. So in the past, they prayed Salat al-Eclipse, Khusuf, out of awe because they don't know what's going on. They're a bit scared, right? We now pray it out of awe of Allah's creation, like the perfection of His creation. It's absolutely perfect that we can predict to the minute when it's going to happen. H says, is it just me, but I can't hear anything. No, it should be just you. We're fine. I converted, someone says, then I got medically circumcised as an adult to fulfill the sunnah. But we said yesterday, you cannot expose your private parts to anybody except yourself and your wife as a man. So just say astaghfirullah once for uh, revealing your aura to somebody. Sophia says, should we be scared at a solar eclipse? No, it's just this, the moon blocking the sun for a, for a short period of time. That's it. It's bound to happen, right? It's like, if you've ever uh, been driving and you can see three cars ahead of you and you're all turning left. You just sit there looking at the blinkers, right? <laughs> Eventually, for like three clicks, they're going to line up and blink at the same time and then they break up again. It's like that. When you have all these orbs flying around, eventually one is going to block one, the other. All right. Dua and jokes. Subhanallah. Do they count? Yes. You may say a joke about yourself or somebody else. Okay? Or a word. And it may be a moment of ijabah. And it's, it, there is an entire genre of literature that says, إِنَّ الْقَدَرَ مُوَكَّلٌ بِالْمَنْطِقِ Your qadr is connected to your words. So maybe they're aligned at a moment, and you, you utter a word, and it's mujab. So be very mindful. Don't say stuff like, uh, don't repeat stuff that's a joke, that you would not want to happen for real. Okay? And why does that happen? Well, don't ask why. Ask, why did you take du'a as a joke? Why did you take your words as a joke? It's not a joke. Okay. Someone who keeps saying, oh, I'm going to do this one day, I'm going to do that one day. Only say something you actually want. Because if it happens, you'd be in trouble. With respect to care, says Suhaib Awan, must one care for the mother and sister before the wife especially when the mother and sister have no male protector. There's no separation, except that the feelings of the mother is most important. Then the wife, then the sister. But in terms of sharia responsibility, you're responsible for all of them. Okay? So in that case, you know, uh, if it's about who do I serve first physically, you would serve your mother first then your wife, then your sister. 
Okay. Or between wife and sister, if there's a big age gap, then you would go with the sister who's older than the wife. Okay. Chief Latif, does Maliki Fiqh require a wali for the groom's marriage to be valid? No, the, the, only the bride needs a wali. A, groom, a man does not need wali. He does not need permission. For, in Sharia, for a man to marry is like eating. You don't need permission and it's haram to stop him. You can't stop a man from marrying. Of course, there is the sense of, I want my parents to be happy. All that is real. And that's very important. Anytime I see a marriage where one of the parents is unhappy, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to be part of this. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. However, uh, some parents are extremely difficult and their difficulty should not be taken into consideration if it's jahili. It's like you can only marry a woman from this country, from this town. Where am I going to find that, right? It's absurd. That's not a reason to be angry or upset. Can you make dhikr or hold tasbih with the left hand? Yes, inshallah you can. Some people have sins with their left hand that they need to get forgiven. Is, is it kufr for Jordan Peterson not to be Muslim after he had a talk with Hamza Yusuf? Yes, and less than that too. Just hearing that there is something called Islam as the final religion, the final claim, and that the Muhammad is the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa He doesn't have to have a lecture with Hamza Yusuf to be mukallaf, right? Could you imagine if you had to have a two-hour talk about Islam to be mukallaf? No, you're mukallaf just by knowing that there was a last messenger came as a claimant, that he has a messenger from God, and he's the last messenger, and that God has orders for him. That's enough. I read somewhere, says Furqan on Instagram, that angels will not be present in the hereafter. Of course they're present. They're the ones conducting the hereafter. They're the ones conducting. The scales. Who's bringing the scales? Who's, who's getting the books? Who's doing the punishing? The angels of hell, the Zabaniya. Right? Zabaniya. It is said, blind, deaf, and mute. And no smell either. Flat faces like this. Why? Because if they had smelled your rotten flesh, right? They'd be disgusted. If they heard your screaming like a, a dying pig, they would stop. Out of rahma, Like Allah's creation has rahma. Okay? So... They wouldn't do it anymore. Or if they, if the people, not that they would disobey Allah, but they would ask Allah for a pardon for these people. The people saying, help us stop, make du'a, they would make du'a. Because Allah creates creation with rahmah. So the way that He creates, could you imagine like, where's the mercy of someone with eyes and it's torturing, right? You feel like it's really scared, right? But Allah's creation has rahmah. And the angels. These are angels. These are not Komodo dragons. These are angels, right? So the only way they could do it is blind, deaf, and no smell. And Allah knows best. This is like a speculative hadith. right? Or that's not the right way to describe a hadith, but it's not of the highest siha strength that we can make jazm with it. What is a hadra dhikr? Says Guli ibn Dud, 
the, the maximum in dhikr that we do is dhikr sitting and standing. Quran mentions that. Dhikr sitting and standing. But to dance and do movements, is not, that's not how we're taught to do dhikr. It's not respectful. But some of the Shafi'is and the Madikis do movements, and the movement that they do is ruku'ah, going down like this. Right? And ultimately, the Shafi'iyah of Asham and the Hanafis of Sham and the Madiki of Morocco, they have that. But, uh, but it's not something that I do, personally. What if the wife isn't happy if you marry a convert and he's not circumcised? Get the kit. Get numbing. You want to talk about this every live stream? Because we talked about it last live stream. Circumcise the guy yourself. Go and get numbing fluid. Watch YouTube videos. Get educated about it. Contact a doctor. Buy the kit. And do it for your husband. Okay? Can a son be his mother's wali? Yes. She doesn't need a wali, but she should have one to protect her rights. And the son is more worthy to be the wali than the father. UK summertime evenings are so long that Aisha is really late. So I heard from Sheikh Abdurrahman, son of Murabit al-Hajj, who lived in Spain and they suffered from this too. He said, just wait an hour and 20 minutes and pray Aisha. An hour and 20 minutes after Maghrib. Uh, like a stranger says, was the book you mentioned earlier about Anthony Flew? No, it was somebody else. It was Alexander something. Doesn't solar eclipse hurt your eyes? Yes, we're told not to look at it. Yeah. Is it true Madikis do three salams at the end of salah? If there's an imam and someone at your left. So one to salam out, one for the imam, and one for the one at your left. That's three total. If you accidentally say, give me hell in do when you meant give me heaven. No. Inshallah, Allah does not take us to account on slip-ups of the tongue. I heard or read somewhere that the Prophet only did tasbih with his right hand. Yes, that's probably true. That doesn't make it forbidden with the left hand. Does the haud of the Prophet ﷺ come after the sirat? Yes. The haud of the Prophet is what we see, we reach. Inshallah Ta'ala will reach it if we pass the sirat, which is the bridge over the hellfire. I have a question on this. Yes. Um... Wait, so the Hawd is an extension from the Kotha? The Hawd, yes, the water is from the river of the Kotha. And the Hawd is the fountain. Do, do other prophets have <coughs> Hawad? Or however you say it? There's only one Hawd. Say the Konain's Hawd. Is Riya only applicable in Salah, says Ibrahim Khan? No, Riya is applicable in any act of worship. Any matter of deen. But riya is not applicable in matters of dunya. There's no riya in matters of dunya. Only in matters of deen. Aslam says, what is one hour and 20 minutes based off? Based off of Maghrib. Or what's his basis? Is that that's... um, I don't want to speak for the sheikh. But he said... 
if you pray Aisha an hour and 20 minutes after Maghrib, it's valid for you. Khadija says, can the younger brother be a wali if the father is alive and well? If he's more competent and capable, then yes. Qasim says, what rights do our extended family have? Mother-in-law is a mom. No less. You have to treat her like a mother. Stepmother is a mom. Of course, your heart is not going to be attached to anyone more than your biological mom. But stepmom is a mom. Mother-in-law is a mom. Grandma is a mom. Aunt is a mom. Okay? All that. A woman who raises you, foster mother, is a mom. In terms of the respect and the treatment that you owe them. What about relatives that are estranged? What rights do they have? Just decency. And try to connect. That's it. It's it's vague. Just try to connect. Decency. That's it. What's the best... Dhikr to combat temporary spiritual numbness. Allah. Just the divine name, Allah. And some shiuch said, no, that's not a dhikr, it must be something else. But the dominant opinion is that Allah itself is a dhikr. That a person, the Prophet himself, in a hadith said, the qiyamah will not come as long as there are people saying, Allah, Allah. From that, and from the different tajribah, they found that this is the fastest jolt to the heart of a person. Say, Allah, 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 Allah. Or, La ilaha illallah. Alright. How often do we have to keep in touch with cousins? There's nothing specific for cousins. Just general keeping in touch. And general keeping in touch is different for each uh, each time. I mean, uh, there was a farmer one time in Guyana. And he said that the Bir al-Walidain for them is that they go out, they pray Fajr, then they go bring like milk to the mom. Then they go out work all day then at Dhuhr, they come back, pray Salat al-Dhuhr, and then touch base with their mom. Go out again, come back for Asr, touch base with the mom. Prepare dinner and get, or rest up. Like the, the man usually rests in the farmer culture after Asr, and the wife is making the dinner. Women of the house are making the dinner. At, pray Maghrib, then eat dinner with the mom. Then pray Aisha, right? then have some tea, and tell some stories with the mom. So then he came to America, he applied that. After every salah, he'd call his mom. Five times a day, he'd call his mom. He says, subhanAllah. If some people, they call five times a month. SubhanAllah. R2D2 says, did you see the images taken by James Webb's telescope? Or the James Webb telescope? It's amazing, some of these pictures, man. Maybe tomorrow we put some of them up. It's a work of graphic art. Honestly, if you had honestly told me, like, look at this picture, I would have told you it's a graphic design. They're so ridiculously gorgeous, it's unbelievable. The vastness, and you're worried about your du'a being, make your du'a for like one little piece of matter, molecule here. You're worried about that? When that's your creator? That's who you're talking to. He made that. That's who you're talking to. What are you worried about your du'a? 
Subhanallah. Ajeeb. I know a convert who circumcised himself. No kit, no numbing. Just a hunting knife and ointment. Whoa, man. That, I would not re- re- recommend anyone to do that. What, I mean, I would not recommend someone to do that. But let's see what he says. He had hayat because he had modesty. He didn't want anyone to see his... MashaAllah, he wanted to revive the sunnah of Sayyidina Ibrahim. Allah reward him. Allah reward him, yes. I'm glad he, did, he survived that without infection or anything. Ajeeb. Okay. What's your advice, says Lily, about wiswas? You ignore it. Wiswas ignores all his wiswas. Okay. Ajeeb. Adnan Auda. Yes, a lot of people and a lot of questions, alhamdulillah. It's a pleasure to take them. Silly question, but do you believe we went to the moon? I'm like 50-50 on the moon landing. <laughs> it's the only conspiracy that I could see, like, maybe, right? A lot of other conspiracies are silly. But that one, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Most people think it's a joke to, to, to even suggest but who knows? Never know. Wouldn't it be hilarious if they faked it the whole time? But we'll never know. Certain things we'll just never know. Zikhan says, this might be weird, but what should you do if you accidentally break air during salah? You say, assalamu alaikum. You go make wudu when you come back. Is it okay to stop talking to someone so they can learn that they have done something wrong? Yes, inshallah, that's fine. Silent treatment. What morning of kar do you rec- recommend? Of course, I recommend... Al-Wird al-Latif at safinasidi.org backslash lowercase wird. Okay. And you can watch it and you could listen to it on SoundCloud and you can get the PDF. And I'm actually putting up a new PDF with the same formatting as the Ratib. All right, folks, we got to go. It's now 3.15. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. We had a very good... Um, stream today alhamdulillah jazakumullah khairan everybody subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wal asr innal insana lafi khusr illa alladhina amanu wa amilus salihat wa tawassaw bil haqq wa tawassaw bis sabr wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh